My name is Tim Porter, and I will be your preacher this morning. It's a little weird, still. Um, Matt is gone for a few weeks, so I'm, I'm stepping in, and I'm helping to, uh, to go through the book of Mark. We're cruising through the book of Mark, and we're, we're going through a series called The Greatest of All Time in awesome retro font, right there. Uh, this is... Uh, this is a, a series um, going through the book of Mark about action, right? Mark is, is all about action. There's, there's less teaching in the, in the book of Mark, and, and we see a faith in action. And I am pumped this morning to give you this, to give you this sermon. But I'm feeling, I'm feeling real good about this, okay? And I, to keep with our greatest theme here, I, I don't want to overpromise here, but this could be... This could be the greatest sermon you guys hear all morning. <laughs> all morning. And for some of you lucky people, this might be the best sermon you hear all day. And with that, this also could be the worst sermon you hear too, so there's that. Um, but I actually am pumped. That was not just a joke. I'm pumped because as I was reading and as I was preparing for this, I've been reading through this guy's commentary named uh, James Edwards. And the title that he gives of the section of Mark that we're going through is Jesus has trouble with the authorities, right? And that just made me happy. I, probably sinfully, and I should probably, probably repent uh, of that, but I had trouble with the authorities a few years ago. Not, not really recently, but just to know that Jesus came to butt heads with the authorities and to... Uh, show them where they were wrong. I, it just made me happy to be happy to be a Christian, right? And so to come up with a to come up with a title for this week, Brian and I were, were commuting up to up to Portland. We worked together, Brian Bradley, one of the other elders, and Brian. Uh, we're trying to come up with a, a, a title, and Brian says, "Hey, what about discussing the greatest rule breaker of all time?" I was like, "Oh man, that's it. That's it." So that's, that's the, the title of today's sermon, The Greatest Rule Breaker, hold on, The Greatest Rule Breaker of All Time, and if you don't like it, Brian's right here, he'll meet with you afterwards, and he can, he can help you through that. So we're going to go through Mark, chapter 2, and there's five different scenes where Jesus butts heads with the authorities. We don't have time to go through all five, we're going to go through just one, um, but before I do that, I want to tell you guys a, a, a quick little story. So just sit back, relax, and uh, let, let me tell you about a guy named Master Chief McAdams. And I think we have a picture of Master Chief. Boom! There he is. Good-looking man right there. Master Chief McAdams I met um, a while back uh, at Station Yaquina Bay in Newport. He lives in Newport, and he has a parking space there, even though he's been retired for, for 40 years. Uh, so you know he's, he's kind of a big deal. He's a bit of a legend. But I, I was there at a, a ceremony. There was a pinning of a surfman one day. And that's, a surfman is like the best small boat driver you can be in the Coast Guard, right? You can drive in the surf. You can take these incredible boats that can flip upside down and then right themselves. And you could go into the breaking surf like 15, 16, 20 feet tall and you'd be okay if you have a surfman driving. So anyways, there's a ceremony uh, they're pinning a surfman. Master Chief McAdams is there because he's the first ever surfman 
of the Coast Guard, right? So they get all the existing surfmen together to congratulate this guy. And after the ceremony, I'm hanging out with my peon reservist buddies, right? We're like very low on the totem pole in the, in the Coast Guard. And I'm like, oh man, there's Master Chief McAdams over there. I want to I go talk to him, right? I, I want to go say hi, but he's surrounded by officers because he's kind of a big deal, like I've said. And for a, for a guy like me to go around officers, it's a little bit, it's a little bit stressful, but I'm like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. That, here we go. So I walk over to him, and I stick my hand out, and Master Chief McAdams, I'm Petty Officer Porter, right? My, my rank is, is, is very low. And we're sitting in the front lawn next to this boat that has been retired for a couple of decades, right? It's this old relic. But I, I say to him, I understand you used to drive this boat. And he looks at me and immediately goes into a story. I remember the second time I rolled that boat. And he starts telling me this larger-than-life story about boats rolling and people being thrown off and everybody lives. And it was this incredible story. Right? And I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy is larger than life. The story I want to tell you today is probably his most famous story uh, about, his, about a rescue that he made. And I think it'll be helpful to illustrate um, what I'm talking about with the greatest rule breaker of all time. So, it's a foggy day, right, in 1957. Right? Perfect, start, perfect start to a story like this. Foggy day in 1957. There's a ton of boats out in Newport. McAdams is out there. He just towed a boat in that was having trouble, and he's back out beyond the, the jetty, right, over the bar, which gets rough sometimes, and he's, he's beyond the jetty, and, he, and they get a call, right, uh, over the radio. Boat crossing the North Reef. Boat crossing the North Reef, right? That's not good. The North Reef is, is real shallow. It's not next to the shore, but, but it gets shallow, and the, and the swells will break across the, the North Reef. So you don't want to be in there in a big boat, let alone a, a small boat. And these people just lost their way. GPS is not, not happening in 1957. They lost their way. They, they, they missed the turn into the, into the jetty. So McAdams goes cruising over there, and he stops before he gets to the North Reef, and he kind of evaluates what's going on, and, and he knows that he's not supposed to cross the North Reef, right? That's against the rules. It's shallow. You could damage the boat. So he looks, he stops, he evaluates, and he thinks he sees the boat capsize and people in the water, and he says, screw it. Let's go. I'm doing it anyways. So he tells the story, and he's, he's like cutting through these waves. He tells it like it was like yesterday, let alone 50, you know, whatever, years ago. Goes through this wave, goes through that wave, takes broadside. This, this one wave surfs the boat, the 52-foot boat called the Victory, which is still in service there today. It's kind of cool. Surfs the boat across this wave, and boom, he hits bottom, right? Crap. And I guess a wave picked him up, and boom, he hits bottom again. But at this point, they're close enough to the capsized boat. He's like, just leave it, right? No big, no big deal. So they're right next to the capsized boat. And at this point in the story, McAdam says, uh, uh, we weren't required to wear life jackets back then. And I considered myself to be an excellent swimmer. Right? And you're like, what? why would he say that? Because he takes off running, I guess, leaves the boat that he's driving, jumps over the capsized boat into the water, boom, and starts swimming after two of the people that were, that were in the water. There was two off the bow and two off the stern. So he's swimming in breaking surf, right? Goes and grabs two people that were struggling, and one of them was going down, I think, and, and he swims them back. I guess it's, it's not terribly far, 30 feet, but still pretty far for, 
swimming, two people, and breaking surf. He gets them back to the boat. He ties a lifeline to them. He jumps back on the boat, and then he evaluates the second couple. Okay, there's two, a couple over here. They're starting to drift apart. It was a husband and wife. The, the husband was too tired, couldn't hold, couldn't hold the wife anymore. The wife was going down, I guess, and so he sends his, crew, his crewman at this point to go get them. But first he says, wait, I'm responsible for this guy. Puts a life jacket on him and then sho literally shoves him, I guess, off the boat in the direction of the people that are struggling. And the crewman goes and swims and grabs them and brings them back and gets them. Everybody gets back on board. They get down below, uh, down below deck. They had to start CPR on one of them who, uh, who wasn't breathing. I think one of, the, one of the gals. And then McAdams has to get off the reef. He had damaged the rudder. Uh, he couldn't steer, but he's got to drive this 52-foot boat with just his engines through the braking surf to get back to the station. It's just, like, impossible, right? How could, how could he do this? But, of course, he does. And he's, he, he's amazing. It's, a, it's an incredible story. Uh, but, but the sto story's not done. So they get back to the station. They get everybody, uh, everybody off the boat. Everybody's okay, including a dog. Apparently, they, they were able to save the dog. They get back to, the, they get back to the, the station. He walks up to the offices, I guess, and there waiting for him are two officers. And they are livid, right? They are ticked, furious with him. And he walks in, and they light him up, one side and down the other. You're not supposed to be in the North Reef. What do you think you're doing? It's dangerous in there. You could damage the boat. You could... You could Damage your crew. I mean, if the boat's bad enough and sinks, you could lose your crew. What do you think you're doing? And McAdams fires back. He's, he's not laying down. He says, no, it's not, about the, it's not about the boat. It's about saving lives. You, you missed the point. Our mission is to save lives. I felt perfectly comfortable going in there. And we damaged the boat, but I guess the damage wasn't, wasn't major. Anyway, so they go back and forth. And I guess he, like, threatens to call the media and to expose these officers who are, are yelling at him. Anyways, the yelling match ends, and they both agree, let's just sweep the whole thing under the rug. Right? Let's just, let's just, they have to write a report and send it to the admiral. Let's just write a quick note. Hey, we, we bumped bottom, pulled a few people out of the water. No big deal. So they do that. So they, so they, send, so they send the note off. Unfortunately for the officers, apparently there was a couple hundred people up on Yaquina Bay Bridge, right, right behind... Uh, if you've been to Newport, you've probably driven across it. It's this beautiful bridge. Uh, a couple hundred people were watching this insane rescue. And one of them was high up in the governor's office, and another was head of the state uh, police. And so the next day, they start writing letters and making phone calls. And they're like, dude, this is the bravest thing we've ever seen. People in the water, the boat's capsized. McAdams drives up. He's jumping in the water. They're pulling people out. Everybody lives. It's incredible. So the governor, apparently, you're thinking, will this story ever end? This is insane. So the governor calls the admiral. See if you can follow. The governor calls the admiral to congratulate the Coast Guard on an incredible rescue. And the admiral looks up the, the information. He's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, all I have is this little tiny note. Did something happen? So he calls his officers and says, what the heck happened? And the officers say, don't worry, sir. We're going to hang these guys. They're out of control. They're irresponsible. They're breaking the rules, right? And he's like, hang them. We're giving them medals. 
And apparently McAdams gets the best, you know, peacetime medal you can get, uh, gold life-saving medal, and the other guy's got a, a silver life-saving medal. So why did I tell you that story? Well, number one, it's an awesome story, and I was just looking for an excuse to tell it. But I also think it's helpful, uh, maybe, you might, you could be the judge. <laughs> I think it's helpful to illustrate what Jesus did and, and, uh, uh, and the story that we're going to read in Mark here soon. Uh, let me set this story up before we get there. We've got a couple of interested parties here, or a couple of parties involved. The first party is the, uh, the religious people. Like the officers who, who, who focused on the rules and lost sight of the, the mission, the big, the large mission, um, the religious people in our story focus on the rules. It, they focus on their own rules and they inflate man-made rules into God's rules, right? They completely lost sight of, of what God's mission was. They are not to be messed with, right? They're not, messing with them is not for the faint of heart and they are very powerful, right? Socially, religiously, politically. These guys carry power and they can wreck you if they want, right? These people are called the Pharisees. Some of you probably know who they are. The next person I want to introduce is Levi, right? Levi uh, is like uh, the people that need to be rescued, right, in our, in our McAdam story. Uh, Levi represents the tax collectors and the sinners, and these guys are hated by the religious people, right? They're, uh, they make money by overcharging taxes, and they keep the extra for themselves, right? It's extortion. It's robbery. Um, the religious, the religious uh, consider these guys thieves and murderers and criminals, and they get their payment, I read this week, with or without consent. That sounds nice, huh? Like the mafia? I'll be back tomorrow. You better have my money, right, or whatever. So these are the, these are the, this is Levi. These are the tax collectors. He's the scumbag, right? He's the, he's the lowlife of that day. Last person that I want to introduce is Jesus, right? He's the He's the rule breaker. He's the hero. He's our savior, right? And he's come to differentiate. He's come as a Jewish teacher, a Jewish rabbi, to differentiate his mission from the Jewish teachers, <laughs> from the Pharisees. Okay, who, better to, who better to tell them uh, where they're wrong than, than one, of, one of their own? Okay, so let's read. Let's finally get to the Bible. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. You guys ready for this? Here we go. He went out again beside the sea. This is Jesus. And all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Let's stop for a second. What do we see here? Real quick, the first, little, first few verses, we see Jesus initiates, Right? Jesus doesn't happen to be walking by, you know, happen to be going for a stroll along the Sea of Galilee and, oh, hey, Levi, what's up? I didn't know you were going to be here. Jesus purposefully goes to see Levi. And there's no, there's no dialogue, right? I said Mark is a book of action earlier. Matt talked about that last week. Book of action. There's no questions. There's no, uh, you know, if you were to die today, yeah, are you sure you'd go to heaven or, or you know, can you recite the books of the Bible or something like that. None of that. He says, follow me. Get up. Let's go. Levi doesn't appear to respond. Just gets up and goes. Uh, James Edwards, this guy I mentioned earlier, 
Uh, in his commentary, he says that word following is a big deal. It's used 19 times in the book of Mark, and it, um, it is only used with Jesus' disciples, never anybody who opposes him, and it is the proper response to faith, and it is practically synonymous with faith. So it appears Levi, based on Jesus' authority, not based on a conversation or anything, just based on Jesus' authority, gets up, leaves everything, and follows him. Right? We hear there's a crowd gathering around, around Jesus, right? Um, Pharisees in the crowd, watching what's going on, seeing Jesus actually walk next to this guy. What's he doing? He's going to talk to him, and then he's going to call him? What? Who does this guy think he is? He doesn't deserve to be one of his disciples. This is what the Pharisees are thinking. They're starting to get ticked, right? They're, start, they're starting to get angry. Sorry about the mic if it's wonky. Let's keep reading. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Jesus ups the ante. Jesus says, not only am I going to walk by this guy, not only am I going to call this guy, not only is he going to be my disciple, I'm going to go to his house and I'm going to recline with him. Right? Recline. I didn't know that was a big deal, but apparently, James Edward says, kind of a big deal. Right? Uh, back then, I guess, if you, if you recline with someone, right, you, I guess you're sitting at the table, you know, kind of, kind of kick back, you accept them, right? This is a sign of solidarity, you know, and I'm not sure how, how it goes, right? You just kind of kick back and, how you doing, you know? I accept you, you know, and this guy's, I accept you. Whatever it means, the Pharisees are sitting outside, they're seeing this, and they can't believe it, right? The tension is building. How could Jesus accept these guys? How could Jesus recline with these guys? They're, they're scumbags, man. And the tension builds and erupts into open conflict, okay? And the next thing we read about is that the Pharisees then actually have to say something. Verse 17. No. Verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and the tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with them, with the tax collectors and the sinners? Doesn't he know? Doesn't he know this is against the rules? Doesn't he know if we're strictly forbidden to eat with Gentiles, right? With, with uh, non-Jews, let alone criminals. And Jesus knows. Jesus not only knows, he's counting on, on them knowing it. You see, Jesus could have easily accomplished his mission. He could have easily gone to Levi in secret so the Pharisees didn't know and say, Levi, follow me quickly, you know. Let's go to your house. But draw the shades. I don't want the Pharisees to see. But he doesn't because Jesus isn't passive. Jesus blatantly disregards their laws in plain sight because he's there for two reasons. For one, to stand up for the sinners, but for two, he's there to battle with these religious people who have lost sight of what's going on. These people who have, who have missed the mark completely. And his response, Jesus' response is, is awesome. 
Verse 17, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let me just clarify. He's not saying that they are really righteous. He's saying those that think they're righteous. This, this is uh, the greatest comeback, maybe, uh, of all time. And in, and in this one scene, in four verses, Jesus clearly makes his distinction, clearly makes his, his, his mission contrast with that of the religious. And, and James Edwards, I was able to pull some nuggets out that he does a great job, you know, smart guy, smarter than me, does a great job of, of contrasting this. Here's three, three things that I pulled out I thought was, was awesome. The religious erect barriers between people groups, between races, between classes, between people of differing opinions. We got a little of that going on. Jesus builds a bridge that unites people. Second one, the religious foolishly seek to establish their own righteousness. Jesus grants it to those who are too far off to hope for it. And the third one, the religious say the rule following, the moral, the upright, they're the righteous ones. Jesus says, in a sense, great sinners stand closer to God than those that think they're righteous because they are more aware of their need for the transforming grace of God. This, this contrast, this distinction is, is, is more than the Pharisees can, can bear. And later in Mark, in, in the first part of chapter 3, after all five scenes play out, uh, it, it says that the Pharisees immediately go out, they hold counsel with the Herodians, and they seek to, to find a way to destroy Jesus. Right? Their pride, their arrogance, the self-righteousness was too much. Right? They, they couldn't see the truth of who Jesus was, and their uncontrollable anger erupted, and it ultimately resulted in the murder of Jesus okay, on the cross. So why does this matter? Why, how does this apply to us? Why did, I, why did I just tell those two stories? Like McAdams, Jesus disregards the rules that would have kept him from saving lives. But I assert to you that Jesus is the greatest rule breaker of all time because Jesus stands up to the authorities, right? Does battle with the authorities. Exposes the hypocrisy of the, of the rules that they're following and the way that they're following them. And he does it perfectly. He does not sin once. He follows God's rules or God's law perfectly. It says that in, in Matthew. He does all that at infinite cost to himself. And he does it all for sinners, for the, for the scumbags. The question then is, this is, is this good news? <laughs> this is good news only if you're a sinner. Only if you're in the sinner camp here. So, so, that, so that the ultimate question, do you know you're a sinner or do you think you're a saint? Right? Are you aware where you've, 
where you failed to measure up to God's laws, right, to God's rules? Are, are you like Levi, right, ashamed? And, and is it obvious that to yourself that, that you don't measure up? If it is, do you know that like Levi, Jesus came for you to call you? Jesus came to accept you. He came to love you. He came to fight for you, and he came to die for you. Man, if you know that, if you believe that, praise God, right? You are a Christian, and your life will be transformed before your very eyes. But let, let, me, let me be clear. Let me just let me, let me, let me caution you. If, you. if you miss this, if you miss this or mix this up, if you try to transform your life before you know you're a sinner, it will result in the self-righteousness just like the Pharisees had. Okay, let, let, let me read this so I don't screw it up. We cannot transform our lives to earn Jesus' favor. Our lives transform because Jesus earned our favor. That's the way it should work. Let me read that one more time. We cannot transform our lives to earn Jesus' favor. Our lives transform because Jesus earned our favor. Do you know you're a sinner or do you think you're a saint? Okay, and, and let, me, let me caution you one more time. Not many people think they're righteous or think they're saints. Okay, not many people are like confessing their righteousness. Oh, I'm so righteous, overly righteous. Self-righteousness, pride, arrogance, it's sneaky, right? It creeps up on you, and it's not easily seen. And I want to give you an example, an example of that. My life, a dozen years ago, looked more like uh, the tax collector and the sinner, right? I related more with those guys. I, uh, I was filled with, you know, debauchery and foolishness and bad decisions, and I was drowning, like those people that need to be rescued. I was drowning in, in shame and guilt. And I was desperate, man. I was so desperate, I went to church. I was so desperate I was. I'll, look, I'll do anything. Uh, and I, I went to church... And I, I stumbled in there, and I, I started stumbling through the Bible, and, and I was desperately looking for answers and looking for a Savior. And at one point, I wrote down, I don't know what I was writing, I didn't know anything about the Bible, but I wrote, to Jesus, like writing my prayer, I want righteousness. No idea what a Pharisee was, I had no idea what any of this, what any of this stuff was. And what's interesting now is looking back is, you know what Jesus gave me? He gave me faith to believe. And now that I've read through the Bible and, and I know a little bit more, that faith is counted as righteousness. That's the crazy thing. I asked Jesus for it and, and he, counts, I, he counts that as righteousness and my life was transformed. But if we try to seek righteousness on our own, we get 
None. We're scumbags. So the next dozen years, I, I, my life is transforming. I'm making better decisions. I'm, I'm trying to eliminate the sin in my life. And now, I don't resonate with the tax collectors, but I now feel more like a, a religious person. I feel more like a Pharisee. And I don't know if some of you relate with that as well. It's, it's likely. It's less obvious that I'm a hot mess, you know, based on, you know, the things that I'm doing, the decisions I'm making. It, it, it looks like I'm a better person. Um, and sometimes, at times, I start to feel righteous. I start to feel like, hey, I, I got this thing figured out. I've got, I've got this handled. Right now, my rules matter. My rules, I've elevated to God's rules. And the other day, someone had the audacity. You guys aren't going to believe it, but somebody actually disagreed with me. Somebody I love, actually. And I didn't know that I was starting to feel righteous. But in that, in that time, my pride and arrogance and the self-righteousness had started to build inside me and it erupted in an open conflict, just like these Pharisees. And I got angry at this person. And I said things that were hurtful to this person. And I just completely failed, completely failed, right? This is real life. And that person, thank God, had the had the guts to say, hey, essentially, you're acting like an arrogant jerk. I don't appreciate that. And somehow it got my attention, and I, and I had to take a step back, and I had to think about what, what just happened. And in studying for this, for this sermon, I started thinking, I'm the scumbag, man. I'm, now I'm the scumbag. What happened? Where did I get off thinking I'm so righteous? Where did I get off thinking that I'm, I'm so great? Nobody can disagree with me. And I was trans, uh, not transformed, I was, I was transplanted, I think is the word I wanted. Transplanted back a dozen years to where I was begging Jesus for his forgiveness, asking for his righteousness, looking for for the power of God's grace to transform my life. I was, I was transplanted back to that time, and that's happened to me many times since then. Don't, don't let me fool you into thinking that's only happened a few times. I forgot I was a sinner. That's, this is probably the best question that I can leave you guys with. I forgot I was a sinner have you forgotten that you're a sinner? Or do you believe and start to think that you're a saint? It's not easy to see. I told you earlier, this, this warrants some investigation. It warrants some thought. It warrants maybe talking to people that, that you love. They get to see your blind spots, man. They get to see where you're acting like an arrogant jerk sometimes. That is the question. Let me close with this. I want to read some red letters, right? Jesus' words. His, his words are the most important. And I, and I want to ask you, if you've tuned out, tune back in for a second. I just got another minute, 60 seconds. 
Jesus in Luke 18.10 describes the difference between a Pharisee and a tax collector here. And I want you to listen for the value that he places on the repentant heart. Okay? Luke 18, verse 10. You can just listen. You don't have to read. Well, now, okay, read. Fine. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this. God, I thank you. I'm not like the other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, right? Like this scumbag standing next to me. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Look how awesome I am, God. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. Right? Can't even bring himself to look up. Beats his breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he says. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Dude, that's intense. Right? I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this, uh, this incredible story that we get to, to read, that we get to talk about, that we get to live out. We thank you for sending your son to break these man-made rules that keep us from saving lives and from seeing people rescued. I pray that we would see our sin more clearly and that that would help us understand our need for you. God, keep us from the self-righteousness and give us the transforming power that comes from your grace. God, finally, I just want to say and I just want to ask that we would know we are sinners and that we would repent like this tax collector that we just read. God, be merciful to us sinners. I pray this in your name. Amen.